I've been talking about the church. I guess some of my sermons have been about a, a metaphor in Scripture for the church, the, te- uh, the, the body of Christ has uh, focused on a little bit. Today I'm talking about the church not so much in relation to a metaphor, but to a key word from the Bible. Um, it's a word used in various places in Scripture of God's people, and it's a word that needs some careful kind of understanding. Primarily, though, in Scripture, this word applies to God. And in some cases, we get a sense that uh, this word really only belongs to God properly. And yet, in Scripture, this word is applied directly to the church, and the church is called into this word. Um, And some of our readings so far in this series have have used this word, uh, although I haven't focused there. I wonder if you're playing a little guessing game in your mind, you know, like you're thinking, what is this word? What's he getting at? What one is it? The word is holy. It means something like a partness or to be set apart. Um, Other words we might think of in English when we use the word holy, we might think of the word sacred or consecrated. When used of God, the word holy indicates that there is no one like God. God is totally and utterly unique in God's essence. There is no other God like us. You and me, we're all unique in the sense that I am not you and and you're not me, but we're the same sort of thing. We're a human being. There is no other God than God. It also sort of implies that God uh, is greater than and that God is the most of things, uh, qualities, let's say, that we do possess. Each of us possesses a certain amount of sort of power and ability to do things. God possesses the most of any being. But holiness still says God is not just the top most powerful dog in the sort of rank of animals, God is again totally other, a a totally different category of being. The key distinction or one of the key distinctions is that everything in heaven and on the earth is created and yet God is uncreated and the creator. So, Holiness means to be other than, to be set apart, to be sacred or consecrated. And it's a word that comes up repeatedly through Scripture. In Isaiah 6 and in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, we get these little moments where the veil gets pulled back and we peek into the heavenly throne room where God dwells. And what's happening? The angels and the saints 
The creatures in the throne room are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Some of my favorite hymns contain an echo of that. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning my song shall rise to thee. So only God is truly and completely holy. Truly and completely unique one. God is who God is and no one else is like him. But the amazing thing is that throughout scripture, this word gets applied to things other than God. And in particular for my purposes this morning, there is a sense in scripture that God's people are called, are summoned, are told to be holy. I sort of listed out a whole heap of stuff and then I thought I can't, you know, this is repetitive enough as it is. But I'll just give you two examples. One is from Leviticus in the Old Testament speaking to the people of God. You shall be holy to me for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And in the New Testament, Peter quotes this with reference to the church. He says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. That's from 1 Peter chapter 1. Now I'm using the word and I'm sort of running the risk, you know, when you say the same word over and over again and it just loses meaning in your mind. Have you ever had that experience? But if I can link the concept of holiness, of God's being holy and our being called to holiness, if I can link that with the other things I've said in this sermon series, it's that we receive the holiness of God from God, and that has the purpose of manifesting the image of God into the world. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we looked at the body of Christ that God wills to make himself known within the world and has chosen to do that via a body, the body of Jesus Christ in his literal incarnation, and then now us, the church. We are named the body of Christ. We are the physical manifestation in the world of the life of Christ living through us. And I, so I believe that there's a similar thing going on. When the word says, be holy as I am holy, it's saying, manifest the holiness of God into the world. Now, if holiness means to be separated... I think there's at least two questions that are worth asking right away. The first question might be, what are we separated from? And the second question might be, what are we separated to? I've just sort of outlined the, the latter. I think we're separated out in some sense as the church for a purpose. And it's not just for us. It's not just so that we have a special identity and get to enjoy that. We're separated out 
in order to manifest and uh, display God's goodness and holiness. What are we separated from? We could talk about this in terms of salvation, right? Paul uses this language. He says um, that we have been saved, uh, we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, been by God, been separated out from the kingdom of darkness, and transferred into the kingdom of the glorious light of his son Jesus. We could talk about salvation in terms of being saved from sin and death and saved to the eternal life that we've been given in Christ. But what about in terms of holiness? What are we, we are separated from and to something? I think we're separated to this mission of manifesting the image of God, the glory of God into the world. But what are we separated from? What are we as a body of believers called to be separated out of? I'm going to get there in a second. But before we sort of explore that too much, there are some risks in asking this question. If we're talking about the church being separate and holy, there are some risks with talking about that that we've got to be clear on. One risk is the risk of moralism. It's the risk of assuming that to be separated just purely means I don't do a bunch of stuff that those other dirty people do. Now, To be separated out, to be called, to be set apart for God does bring and draws us into a change of life. But I don't think that's the the only question to ask or answer. Unless, well, I'll say, I think the moral question is, is embedded in a deeper perspective. A similar but different risk in asking this, is the risk of individualism. I've said a few times in this series, we tend to hear the scriptures in the West at an individual level. How does this apply purely to me and my situation and what I'm going to do? I want to contend with you for the idea that this call to holiness, when God says, I'm calling out my people, he's talking to this group. And yes, that applies to each individual, but it applies to the body as well. And I think maybe something we need to learn and relearn and that we're struggling with is how do I understand what it means to be part of the body? How do I understand the call to holiness, not just as an individual striving, me and Jesus together, but what about us? So I'm sort of asking this question, what does it mean for the church to be holy? I'm asking that at a church level. Another risk is that of 
culty weirdness, right? Because every sort of cult, whether it's a Christian thing, uh, aligned thing, or a something totally different, has majored on the language, probably, of holiness. Has majored on the language of separation from the world. And so I, I went to um, Bible college with a, a woman who came out of the exclusive Brethren Church, right? And uh, she carries incredibly deep wounds from that time. Um, and she has a, a great heart and passion for people who are still stuck in that and people who uh, are trying to get out or who have gotten out. Um, Cults always make the claim that they, in their little bubble, have this exclusive revelation and that to be truly holy means to belong to that little thing. So for me... I want to be able to call Hillcrest Baptist to holiness, to be holy unto God, to be separated in the best way from the world. But I don't want to create a sort of a, um, I don't want to create a cult. I wouldn't want to create a situation in which the, the line between those outside and those inside is so hard and so, so strict that this becomes like this dangerous, manipulative, inward-looking thing. Perhaps the, um, perhaps at the root of some of these risks, when we're talking about holiness, is actually the risk of self-righteousness. Because I do want to build you up as individuals and as a body to believe that God has made you holy. But I don't think the outworking of that in a Christian sense should be that I walk around or that you walk around outside looking at the world and seeing what people are doing and feeling any sort of superiority or diminishing those people, or deriding those people because they're not doing what we think is right. And for this, we have to be. And perhaps being told we're called to be holy ought to make us humble. Perhaps we ought to have the humility to to say, yes, there are things that we're stepping away from, things that we're not going to engage with, but never looking at the person who's still stuck in that and saying, look at those people down there, look at those dirty people. That's the risk of self-righteousness, and it's throughout the Scriptures. You think especially of the way Jesus contends with the Pharisees. They had this external holiness, and yet the inside, Jesus said, was like like a whitewashed tomb. They were dead inside. It was all white. It was all looked clean, but they were dead inside. I think it doesn't make sense for us to be made holy and part of the body of Christ and then to look down on anyone who's not part of it.
So all that said, here's our reading for this morning. It comes from Revelation chapter 18. John is writing, starting in verse 1, I'm not reading the whole chapter. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. Lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a measure of a like measure of torment and mourning, since her, in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning shall I never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord who has judged her. This is not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But it speaks to the serious matter of how God has called people to live in the world in his way. How seriously bad things get when they go astray. And how urgently God calls his people to be holy. Now, the word holy is never mentioned in that passage. But I think the key phrase here, this other voice from heaven, says, come out of her, my people. This is a direction in vivid and explicit terms from the Lord to the church to leave not just the world, not the world, actually, to not leave the world, but to leave the pattern of the rebellious world. In Scripture, from beginning to end, we see this play out over and over. We have the Tower of Babel and these, these people who construct this great monument to reach heaven. We have the, the people of, of Babylon who... Uh, tyrannize and capture God's people. And here I think the first reference point in the book of Revelation, we're speaking of Rome, 
of the empire, of the, the great system and structure that has raised itself up arrogantly against the knowledge of God and lives in great luxury and wealth and tyrannizes people and accepts and promotes injustice and sexual debauchery. This great Babylonian system manifested in Rome. I'm sort of of the belief about the book of Revelation, and you know, there's a lot of different ways that people choose to interpret it. But I'm sort of of the belief that it presents us with a symbolic pattern, sort of framework for understanding what happens through history. For me, I can't quite escape the feeling that we in our sort of changing world as a body are under growing pressure, not the persecution that churches and other places of the world are under, I don't want to overstate it, but I think we are in the West, in the church, under growing pressure to conform or not with the pattern of the wider world. I think that oftentimes that has manifested itself to us at an individual level, right? You're at work and the conversation is bawdy and they're going out and getting on the, on the piss. And excuse my language if that's offensive to anyone. And You've got to make a choice like, am I going to go or am I not going to go? Am I going to drink? Am I not going to drink? There's these individual decisions to make about what it means to be holy unto God. I think, and I might be wrong and you're welcome to disagree, that there's a growing sense in which the church itself, as a body, needs to reckon with and ask what it means to be a holy people. Again, trying to avoid the traps of just pure moralism, of individualism, trying to avoid culty weirdness where we separate ourselves so much that we think we're superior, and trying to avoid the trap of self-righteousness. Nevertheless, I do think and I do believe that the church we, together and broadly, have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to be holy in such a time as this? As I was praying on this and thinking about how to, um, one, kind of wrap it up, but two, put some practical stuff on there, I sort of went through a heap of things. I was like... I could talk about this topic, you know, or this issue, and I could address this, that, and the other thing. And um, I think there's a lot of thought that needs to go in and, and a lot of things we need to consider. But what I came to that was that that's not really the answer. The answer, I think, 
goes back to those initial verses I read from Leviticus and, um, and from Peter, First Peter, where the word says, Be holy, for I am holy. And that our sense of holiness as a people is not actually purely ours to decide and figure out. Because it is a gift from God. And so when we were singing together just before, you alone are holy. Only you are worthy. The following line says, God, let your fire fall down. And I've been trying to tease this through, right? The passage that I read from Revelation is is stark. It says, come out from her, my people. And then it talks about essentially judgment coming upon the world. There's another line in Scripture, and I forget exactly where it is, but it talks about how judgment begins. Can anyone tell me where? Judgment begins with the house of God. To the degree that we as a people are called to be holy, I think we're actually asking for God's judgment. When we call upon God, when we sing, God, I want your fire to fall down. Perhaps we go to, I want the empowerment of the Spirit. I want, I want you to light a fire inside me, you know, and I think that's good. But perhaps also thinking of Hebrews and the language that our God is a consuming fire. This holy God, when he comes, is going to come to make us holy. To purify us. To burn off anything within us that is not holy, that does not belong. And so I think the answer or the, the, the way to obey that, if we're listening to the words in Revelation, come out from her, my people. The way is to pray and to seek God, to earnestly desire that he comes into my life and that he will make me holy, that he will burn off anything that isn't worth being there. And I think that that response, that desire, that That hope that God would do the work in us avoids the trap of, for instance, self-righteousness. Because let's say that we together have something going on and, and God needs to deal with it. If God does it himself and we all know it's God, we're not going to walk around with big heads saying, look at us, how holy we are. We're probably going to fall on our knees or on our faces and say, wow, God, you are incredible. You are holy. You, are do- you have done an amazing thing in me. So I was going to leave you with a question. And I've changed my mind about what that question is going to be. I was going to... Suggest that you consider, you know, how do, I, how do I step away? How do I come out of this, this sort of Babylon that, in which we live? But I think maybe 
what I've come to in seeking the Lord on this message is, God, how are you going to expunge and flamethrower out Babylon from within me? How are you, God, how do you want to, to burn out anything within me that's not of you? That's my challenge to you for this week. Ask him. Open yourself to the willingness. Let's pray. God, your word says that you are a consuming fire. But the awesome thing there, God, is that you are a refining fire. And that we trust, I trust this word that you've called us to be holy. I trust it because that is a gift from you. It's not something that uh, I must strive to earn on my own merit. But that if I do any striving, God, it is striving to know you and striving to receive more and more what you have to give. God, I pray for us as a church that we would be holy as you are holy. And that we would receive from you both that empowerment that we need to build us up and to go out, but also, God, I pray that we would receive uh, the fire of your cleansing spirit. That we would be open to being changed. That there would be, uh, there would be no part of us. Again, that song. To you, our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. God, you perceive all of it. So I ask that you would, you would come. And that you would draw us out. And make us holy. God, I thank you that all of this is possible. Our ability to stand before you is possible only because your son Jesus came. Because he already came. And he lived faithful to you and didn't put a step wrong. He was never drawn into the way of the world. And so he was and is and forever will be the Holy One. And you have put us into him. By his death that forgave our sins by his resurrection that gave us new life, by pouring out his Holy Spirit, you have brought us into your son, Jesus. You have made us holy. God, to the degree that we need to be refined and purified, help us to see that that is not taking anything away from us, but it is simply revealing what you've already done.
I pray your blessing upon this people. I pray that you would make us holy as you are holy. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.